Good morning. This is Genesis 17. This is God's word. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you um, exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings of the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generation, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant." And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you? God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or brought with his money, or bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskins. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskins. 
That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. All right. Well, aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be an interesting one this morning. Uh, we have a, a fun passage to be able to deal with uh, today, uh, dealing with circumcision. I know most of you got up this morning and thought, you know what I'd really like to talk about today? I bet I'd love to talk about circumcision in church. Uh, but, but that's where we are this morning. Uh, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a fun one, but let me just alleviate some of your fears right off the bat, all right? Uh, th this is not a command for us today, all right? You don't need to be worried before you, you know, book it for the, the exits. That's not what this is leading towards. That's not where we're going, Right here at Central, we really we take uh, the Bible and we walk through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and and so we come across some some pretty odd uh, passages now and again. So we don't talk about this every Sunday, but we do talk about the Bible every Sunday, and so what that means is sometimes we get to deal with uh, some interesting topics like this one. Right? Now, if you have been with us for a little while, you'll know we have been walking through the life of Abraham. We have been going through the book of Genesis, looking at his life, and uh, now we have come to chapter 17. We've taken a little bit of a break over Easter. Uh, we did uh, some uh, looking into the book of Luke and Peter, but we're back in Genesis, and so we're looking at this, which is one of the most significant moments in his life. In fact, this would have been a life-changing moment for Abraham, right? Not only dealing with circumcision, we're talking, also he gets a new name, right? He goes from being called Abram to now Abraham, as we probably more commonly refer to him. Right? He actually gets this new name. Now, I, I don't know if you, if you named your children what your process looked like in terms of deciding what you were going to name them. I'm sure you had a lot of different reasons, and, and we come up with all kinds of reasons about why we name our kids what we name them, right? Uh, maybe, maybe you have family names in, in your family. There's a bit of a tradition there, right? So my name is Jonathan. My dad's name was John, or is John, and my grandfather's name was Johan. Right? There's a bit of a family tradition that's going through that line. But whatever your process looked like, maybe you just found a name and you liked it. You liked the sound of it. Right? Maybe it was a really popular name and so you, you wanted to choose that. Or maybe it wasn't a popular name, so you wanted to choose one like that. Right? Maybe you knew someone who had that name and thought, oh, that's a really great uh, way of honoring them. Or maybe you knew someone and thought, maybe not that name, right? Because that brings up bad memories. Right? We have a lot of different reasons why we choose the names that we do. But the truth is, we often don't put a lot of, of meaning into our names, at least not in comparison with other cultures. Other cultures often use far greater meaning, depth behind why names are chosen. And that is especially true in the case of Abraham. In the case of Abraham, it is especially true that, he, uh, that when God gave him a name, 
It was for a very specific reason. Abraham would remember this moment for the rest of his life. This was life-changing. In fact, it's life-changing not only for Abraham, but it is for his descendants. See, I know we, we kind of cringe and we're like, well, this is weird to talk about circumcision. It's a little awkward. I don't really want to talk about it. But the truth is, for, for the Jewish people, this is really the institution of, of a major part of their culture and their heritage, right? This is Abram getting this, this covenant of circumcision that would de then define the people of Israel going forward. And so this is, this is a big moment for Abraham. There's a lot that's going on in this text, and actually, there's a lot for us to understand as well. There's a lot that we are actually called to apply into our own lives. So this morning, we're going to look at this passage. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 17. So if you have a Bible, you can find your way there. And honestly, I'll be, I'll be honest here. I, I'm actually pretty excited about this chapter. This is one of them I've actually been looking forward to getting to, not because it's awkward, but actually because there's a lot in here. There's actually a lot going on in Genesis chapter 17 that extends throughout the whole Bible of what God is doing in this plan of salvation. And so my hope is by the end of this, you can have a little bit of a picture of what God is doing and how God is beginning this work of redemption that spans really the entire Bible. So we're going to look through our, our text, and we're going to just take three different themes throughout. The first is God's persistent faithfulness, that God is always faithful despite what Abraham does. The second is the cost of obedience. What does it look like for Abram, uh, Abraham to actually follow after God? And then finally, we're going to look at what the Bible calls the circumcision of the heart. Right, and that's really where this applies to us today. So let's look at each of those. You can look back in your text just at verse 1. So we look at God's persistent faithfulness. Verse 1 says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Right, God is making this, this covenant with Abraham. He is making this, this agreement. It is a, a uh, binding sort of contract in the uh, context of a relationship. Right, a good example is to use marriage, right? That's a binding vow in the context of a relationship sealed together. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, that sounds a little bit familiar. And actually, it should. We actually talked about this uh, now about a month ago. We paused over Easter. But Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abram. And so you might ask the question, well, why are we doing this again? Right? It was just two chapters earlier, chapter 15. God makes this covenant with Abram. So why are we back there doing this again? And the answer is actually, well, what happens in between? Chapter 16 happened in the middle there. And if you remember the story, Abram and Sarai get this, this promise. 
that, that God is going to give them a, a child, an offspring, a son is going to be born to them, and God is going to bless the child, and he is going to give this child all the land that Abraham is walking through. But Abram and Sarai get a little impatient, don't they? doesn't seem like God is actually going to fulfill his promise, and so they get impatient and they come up with their own solution, right? They get a surrogate wife. Hagar comes into the picture, and she is Sarai's servant, and Abram sleeps with Sarah or Hagar, and she gets pregnant, and that's where we get Ishmael, right? Abram's son, Ishmael, that he wasn't really supposed to have. And we're left in this, this tension moment in the story. What is God about to do? Because Abram clearly went away from what God was calling him to do. He messed up. You can go through the, the story. Things get really, really bad for them. It doesn't go well. So what is going to happen next? Is God just going to be done with Abram? No, you messed up. Or is this now sort of going to be the son? Well, it wasn't really what we thought it was going to be, but hey, he's got a son now, so maybe we'll just roll with that. How is God going to respond? And the answer comes here in chapter 17. God comes and he says, I am going to establish my covenant with you. He's not saying he's making a new covenant. That's not what's happening. It's, it's more like a, uh, a marriage renewal ceremony, right? Couples do this uh, from time to time, right? They'll go through something, and after a while, they'll say, you know what? What we need to do is just we need to renew our vows. They're not getting married again. It's not sort of a second marriage there. No, it's, it's the same marriage, but they are renewing that vow, that, that commitment they have between one another. And that's really what's going on here in chapter 17. It's this renewal of what God had promised. It's this recommitment. It's God saying, I am still going to be faithful to what I promised to you. Yes, you wandered away. Yes, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. But God says, I am still going to be faithful to what I promised. I love how Abram responds. Verse 3. It says, then Abram fell on his face. Right? In front of God's mercy, in front of God's compassion, his love, his kindness, his faithfulness, the only real response there is to simply fall down and worship God. Praise him for what he is doing. Yes, Abram messed up, but God didn't. Abram wandered away, but God is still faithful. Right, the human partner in this divine human relationship keeps on messing up, but God is still faithful time and time again. He's faithful to Abram even in his sin, and oh, I am so glad that he is. Because the truth is, we mess up all the time. We mess up all the time, and I'm so glad that God doesn't say, all right, you've had one, two, three strikes, okay, you're out. Actually, God continually works with us. He is continually faithful to us, even as we mess up again and again and again. God is persistently faithful. And I love how the story continues. Because it's not as if God simply says, all right, you messed up, but I'm going to be faithful, but you better be careful, Abram. 
right? You better be really careful because I'm coming after you. You're, you're on a razor-thin margin right now. And actually, God comes and he says, instead of that, I, I'm going to bless you even more. I'm going to abound mercy and grace upon you over and over and over again. Your name was Abram. I'm changing it now to Abraham, father of a multitude of nations, right? You are to remember the fact that when you had sinned, God showed you abundant mercy over and above. In fact, not only are you going to have multiple nations, kings are going to come from your line. Your wife, her name is Sarai. It's now Sarah, means princess, because she will give birth to kings and nations will come from her. Your child, Ishmael, even he shall have nations coming after him. God is abundantly blessing despite the fact that Abram has messed up. And don't mistake it. This isn't because, you know what, Abram's a really great guy. He's, he's a really nice guy. You know, his character is really good. No, this has nothing to do with the character of Abraham. This has everything to do with the character of God himself. This is God being abundant in mercy and grace. It should cause us to have the same reaction as Abraham, to fall on our face and worship this God who is so faithful to us over and over again. Let us worship God for his faithfulness. But see, there's, there's another reason I think we need to see this covenant again. See, the Bible records it for us twice, and it's because it's trying to highlight the fact that this is an important moment in the Bible, right? This is how God is going to deal with his people from now on, right? Think about it this way. This is, this is a big book, right? This is a large book. There's a lot of pages. You might know there's, there's 66 little books in here, something like 40 different authors, and it takes about 1,500 years, 1,500 years for the whole thing to be written. There's a lot going on in the Bible, all right? But, and so it's easy to start thinking, well, you know what? It's really just this collection. It's this collection of, well, God did something over here. Wow, that's great. And then God did something here, and then he did something here, and then Jesus showed up. Wow, isn't that awesome? But actually, as we start working through the Bible, we start realizing, actually, there's a storyline going on. There's this, there's this narrative that is happening throughout the whole Bible that God is working to bring about fallen humanity to know him. And the way that we see God at work comes through these covenants that he makes. God comes and he makes these promises, these agreements with certain people and to demonstrate how he is going to deal with us. And you might say, well, okay, I'm sure it happens all the time, right? There's got to be lots of covenants in the Bible, and the truth is there's only five. There's only five covenants that God makes with humanity, makes with us, and the first shows up in creation. It's established in Noah, and the last is in Jesus. And so between the flood and Jesus coming and redeeming us from our sins, God makes three covenants with Abraham, with Moses and the people of Israel, and then with David. 
Three moments in the Old Testament where God is revealing, this is how my salvation will come to you. And so this is one of the most pivotal moments in our Bibles. It's one of these few moments where God says, this is how I am going to deal with you. This is how I'm going to treat you. It's in this covenant. And we need to see that all of them actually roll up into Jesus, who is the fulfillment of everything God had promised, that God was setting forward. It comes to us in Jesus Christ. Now, I say that not just simply to to help you understand what's going on in the Bible, but actually because we need to be realizing that God is persistently faithful to us and that we can actually trust him. That the promises that he makes do come true. That even though that Abraham was going to mess up again and again, he's still going to do it after this. He's going to mess up again, and yet God is going to be faithful to his word. God's word doesn't lie. And so we can actually trust what he says. When the Bible says that we are saved by faith, we can actually trust that. And I I think the Bible brings that up again and again because it's so easy for us to slip into the pattern that says, well, sure, the Bible promises these things, but, but is that really how it's going to work? It says we're saved by faith, but, but you know what? Really, I've got I've to help out here. I've got to earn my way to be right with God. I've got I've to stop smoking pot. I've got to clean up my life. I've got to stop swearing. I've got to get off pornography. I've got to do this and that and this, and then I can be right with God. And the Bible says, actually, no. You're right with God through the faithfulness, through what Jesus has done for you. That is how we are going to be made right with God. And the call to us is actually genuinely to trust in him. Trust that what he is promising us is true. Even when we mess up, God is faithful to his promises. He is worthy of being trusted. His record is perfect. God is persistent in his faithfulness. Moses writes to the people of Israel. This is what he says. He says, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Moses years later says, you know why I can trust that God is going to be merciful? It's because of the covenant he made with Abraham. It's because of his grace and his mercy that we see declared to us in the promises he has made. We are called to trust that God will actually keep his promises, but but here's where we sometimes get confused. See, genuine trust in God leads us to genuine obedience. All right, genuine trust in God leads us to genuine obedience even when it is costly. All right, Abram found this one out pretty well. Look back at verse 9. It says, God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. 
every male among you shall be circumcised. Right, now you have to just imagine you're in Abraham's shoes at this point, all right? God has been speaking to you and he comes and he says, I'm gonna give you this promise, I'm gonna give you this blessing, you're gonna have a son, nations are gonna be coming from you, kings are gonna be coming from you. And Abraham's going, this is great. And God says, all right, now I need you to do something. What is it? Anything, God, just ask of me. And God says, you need to be circumcised. What? Are, are you sure? Like, where did that come from? Right? And, and before we go any further, let's just, just ask the question, why is God asking him to do that? Where did that question come from? Why is that the thing that God is asking him to do? Of anything that God could have asked, Abram could have done anything. God says, be circumcised. Why? Why is that the symbol? Why is that the sign God gives to him? Well, I, I think there's a couple answers. The Bible doesn't clearly you know, spell it out for us because I think most people understood what it would have meant. See, what's interesting here is Abraham doesn't say, what? He doesn't say, what is that? He doesn't say, hey, can you please explain what are you talking about? It's because he was actually already familiar with this practice. So he lived in the ancient Near East, and, and during Abraham's time, there was a group of people who were circumcised. They were known to have that a part of their life. And actually, they were priests. It was the priests in the ancient Near East who were circumcised, people who were devoted to a certain deity. And so Abraham says, oh, God has been speaking to me. God has been calling me to be this conduit of blessing to the nations. Abraham is acting as a priest to the nations around him. This is a sign of a priest. This is a sign of someone who is devoted to God. See, that's exactly what Abraham would have understood God asking him to do. I want you to have a sign, a symbol on you that you are devoted to me. See, circumcision is that mark. But I think there's another reason as well. See, it has to do with what God is promising Abraham. God's promising Abraham offspring, children, a son. Now, not to get too far into the birds and the bees, but circumcision is a pretty good reminder that your children are not going to come from anything you do, but they're going to come by the promise of God. See, that was what God intended it to be. In fact, not just for Abraham, but for all the people of Israel who would come after him, they were to have this reminder always with them that their children are marks, are signs, are promises from God. They're gifts from God Almighty. In fact, it was to be a reminder that they were still waiting for this one offspring who would come. This one child who would come, who would actually bring all of the blessings of God. Circumcision was that reminder. I think finally, God gives him this sign because it is a private sign. Right? This was not a, a public display. Right? In all the normal uh, arenas of life, no one would ever know. 
right? It was only in the most intimate moments of life that there would be this reminder of what God had called him to do, of his devotion to God, and I think that was intentional. See, God gives his people lots of public signs. There's lots of sort of external things from their clothing, from their hair, from their diet. There was lots of things they had that were publicly seen by everyone around them that they followed God, but this one was private. This one was personal. This was a, a, a private reminder of your devotion to God. And so, God calls Abraham be circumcised as a reminder that you yourself are devoted to me, as a reminder that uh, your generations after you shall be the people of God, the priest to the nations. But what I think is perhaps most surprising here is what happens in verse 23, right? It says, then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born of his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Right? Abraham doesn't even wait. He goes out that very day and obeys what God had called him to do. Abraham is ready and actually obeying God in this instance cost him a lot. And it's reasonable to ask, why on earth did he do that? Why was he so ready to obey? And it's easy to say, well, I'm sure it was because he wanted the blessing. He wanted to, to earn his way. He wanted to be made right before God. So he's got to do this and this and this, and then he will be right with God except that's reversing the order, isn't it? See, back in chapter 15, God made him those promises. God made the promise, you are going to have an offspring. You are going to have blessing. You are going to have this land. And then he calls him to obey. We can't flip the order of these two chapters. See, it's intentional that there is a promise made, and in that relationship, in that uh, context, then God says, now I need you to obey. The obedience of Abraham doesn't come in order to earn the gift. It comes as a result of it. Right? It's obedience in the context of a relationship. You can kind of think about it this way. There's a difference between uh, one of your friends coming up and saying, you know what, I, I really need your help with this thing. I don't know what it is, moving, right? I really need your help to, to help me move, and uh, could you do that? Say, yeah, of course, right? I, I have that relationship, and so I'm happy to be able to do this for you. It's a totally different thing if someone says, I need you to help me move, and if you do it, I'll be your friend, no, that, that's different, isn't it? That's just manipulation. That's just, you know, cloying. That's just trying to do something that shouldn't be how things work. And so what we need to see is that obedience is the, the natural outcome. It's the natural outworking of a trusting relationship. And so that's why Abraham is already he is ready to go and obey. It's because he has that relationship with God. That's already been cemented and fixed. And then obedience flows out from that. 
Obedience to God's commands is a, a necessary consequence of trusting in Him. It's a, it's a necessary consequence. It's the natural outflow. It's as necessary as an apple tree producing apples. It's what it does. It's like a heart beating. It's like saying, is it necessary for a heart to beat? It's what it does. Outside of that is death. See, it's not a demand that we get everything right in order to approach God. It's part of the relationship we have with Him. And as we've seen, it's, it's really not to be taken lightly. Right? You can look at what it cost Abraham. And I don't just mean the circumcision. He left his home. He left his family. He left his security. He left everything behind in order to follow after God. It cost him a lot to be obedient to God. And when we come to Jesus in the New Testament, he doesn't tone that down. Actually, he ratchets, ratchets it up, is what he says. It says, for whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus doesn't actually lessen that call, does he? No, he increases it a whole bunch. He says, it's not just going to cost you some things from your life, it's going to cost you your very life, right? He says, pick up your cross, bring the gun along that's going to shoot you. You need to be able to give up everything in order to obey, to follow after God. But again, don't get the order wrong. It's not in order to be made right with God, it's because you have been made right with God. And we need to see it's not throwing away our lives. It's not just tossing away our life or living carelessly as much as it is putting all your eggs in one basket, right? It's going all in and saying, I'm trusting God with everything that I have. And actually what the Bible tells us, it's a safe bet. It's a good thing to be doing. Costly obedience is part of the Christian life. It's going to cost you something, but it won't be a gamble, right? Obey God no matter the cost because we trust in him. The question is then, well, what does that mean? What does that actually look like in our lives? How does that actually apply to what God has been speaking to Abraham about? We've already said we aren't... A called to apply this in exactly the same way. Rather, we are to have a circumcision of the heart. So, so what does that mean? And it's a fair enough question to ask, well, why are you just ignoring this? Right? Look, look back at verse 14. Verse 14 says, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So it's a fair question to ask, why is it that we're so easy to say, well, no, this isn't required? It seems pretty solid in this context, doesn't it? Well, the thing is, as you go through the Bible, you're going to realize that it's not that God was worried about 
the physical action. He was looking for the devotion of the heart. He said circumcision is a sign of being devoted to God. And in fact, that's exactly how the Bible understands it. Look at Moses. Moses, when he's talking to the people of Israel, he reminds them that God loves them even though they sinned. This is what he says. He says, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Right, Moses here is speaking to a people who are all physically circumcised and yet what he calls them to do is Forget that. You need a heart that is going to be devoted to God. That is what your circumcision is supposed to be pointing towards. In fact, later on in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah talks about this judgment God is going to bring on the people of Israel, and he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, and all the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. See, God lumps all of those together. He says it doesn't matter what the physical reality might be. That's not what it was talking about. Circumcision was always a matter of the heart of a life that is devoted to God, right? It doesn't matter if you're wearing the right jersey if you're cheering for the wrong team. Essentially, it's just hypocrisy. Essentially, uh, Jeremiah is saying, God is saying, actually, you're just lying, your circumcision is nothing because your heart isn't right. And so when we get to the New Testament, we find that's exactly what Paul says. He says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. See, Paul finally puts all the pieces together for us. He says, look, it was never a sign that was merely about the outside. It was supposed to always be pointing to a life that is devoted unto God entirely. It was always supposed to be pointing to the obedience of faith. So what does that mean for us? It means we are called to this circumcision of the heart. It means we're called to do actually the same thing Abraham was called to do. See, here's where we've actually skipped over one of the most important verses in this text. It was verse 1. Verse 1, God says to Abraham, he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. See, before God goes on with any of this other stuff, he gives Abraham two commands. Walk before me. Be blameless. That is what dictated, that is what headed all of this other stuff that God was going to call Abraham to do. It was to be blameless before him. 
That as he walked before God, he in his life was to be blameless, perfect, pure, righteous, holy. He was to reflect God's character to others as a priest of God, as God's representative. That is what Abraham was to do. In fact, that's what it looks like to have this circumcision of the heart. But the problem is, Abraham wasn't. He wasn't blameless. And the truth is, neither are you or me. We are not blameless either. In fact, we've broken this covenant again and again and again, and we've always fallen short. We needed someone to come who could fulfill it in our place. And see, that's where Jesus comes in. He was the one who was perfectly blameless who never failed, who never faltered, who was righteous and pure and holy and perfect in every regard. And actually, he stood in our place. He took the punishment for our breaking of the covenant so we would be given his record. His perfect righteousness was given for us. And so Paul then says, so now you Christian." Be circumcised in your heart, not by your own effort, but by the Spirit working in you. Might your life be changed. Might your life, your heart, be devoted unto God entirely. That is what the calling is for our lives, to live before him a blameless life. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Peter says, be holy as God is holy. First Timothy says, we are to strive for the righteousness without which no one will see God. See, that is the call on our lives, to work and to fight by the Spirit, to devote ourselves wholly and entirely to God, not to earn his approval, not to earn our salvation, but because we have been saved. Let us work. Let us run. Let us strive with everything we have to be blameless before God himself what it means to have our hearts circumcised, to be devoted to him. So this morning as we close, I'll invite the worship team to come to the front. And we talk a lot here at Central about our our lives being seen, about the, the impact that Jesus has on our lives being noticeable, visible in our lives to others around us. Right? It's why we exist as a church, because we're not to do this on our own. We are to encourage one another, walk alongside one another, and spur one another on. That's our calling. But this morning, let me ask you, as we've looked at this, at this sign of circumcision, this, this private devotion to God, what does your life look like when no one's watching? What does your life look like when no one else is around? When no one's going to see, when no one is going to praise you for what you've done? How is your obedience to God then? What, What does that look like in your life? See, I think sometimes we get caught in this trap 
that, that sees our Christian life as just a performance for others. That there's no reason to follow Jesus when no one's watching. So that's why Paul says, is your praise from men or from God? Are you seeking the approval of others or are you seeking to be blameless before God? See, it's really easy to put on a show. This morning I want to call you, drop the act. Drop the act that says I have to make sure I always look good. Come pray with me, come pray with someone else Confess your sins and say, you know what, I need help. I need accountability. I need someone to walk with me because there are things in my life that aren't right, where I'm not obeying God, where I haven't been devoted to him, where my life certainly has not been blameless. That we actually can walk together, that we can see the work of God in our lives through one another. Would you obey the commands of God even when it costs, even when no one else will ever see the fight you go through against sin? Would you follow God even there? Do you trust him in your private moments? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you continually speak to us, that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are merciful, that you are forgiving, that you sent Jesus in our place so we could be forgiven. Lord, we confess we have so often hidden things away from you. We so often have tried to put on a mask in order to be seen well by others. But, Lord, our desire today is that we would not be seen as blameless, but that we would be blameless before you. Lord, be working in our hearts that we would be completely and wholly devoted to you. We ask these things in the power of your spirit and by your name. Amen. Amen.